Today, we know perfectly that if we don't modify genetically these pigs that are going to be donors, it's impossible to use their organs. But the good news is that pig is the species with the, the, the technology, the biotechnology of reproduction, of genetic modification, and of diseases detection, the most uh, developed all over the farm animals. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. Evonik, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about NutriQuest. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by service, and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operations. Hello, everyone. I am your host today, Laura Greiner. Uh, we are doing a Swine It podcast today with Guillermo Ramos. Guillermo is a professor at the University of Morphia. Guillermo, how are you today? I'm really fine, and I'm happy to be here with you today. It's a honor for me to to make this podcast for your audience. Yes, well, we're glad to have you here today. Um, our audience may not be very familiar with you and your background, so would you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and what you're currently doing? Okay. I'm a, a veterinarian, and Currently, I'm teaching at the university, at the University of Murcia in the south of Spain. But uh, really, I developed all my professional career uh, in a very big company producing pigs. Uh, I was a, a practitioner and also participated in the in research and development department. And then I jumped to the university 15 years ago. And that's me. <laughs> I'm a, a veterinarian that, that likes to teach. Sure, sure. That's wonderful. Well, um, in your biography, we saw that you have some work with xenotransplantation. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing with xenotransplantation and why that might be important to our audience today? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, as, as a researcher, uh, since 20 years ago, more or less, I've been involved in, in, in different uh, programs of research about xenotransplantation. Our, our main goal is the liver uh, transplantation. 
And this was a, a joint venture and a, a multidisciplinary team that started working with uh, the, the aim of uh, getting the liver of a pig and put into a person to keep it alive. And we have been researching the last 20 years with, with, this, with this goal. And currently, sinotransplantation is a little bit, uh, the, the velocity, the decreased velocity in Spain has decreased because a very good news that we have a very high rate of, of donation and then sinotransplantation is not so important. But the, the last 15 years, we have developed a very hard uh, research in, in this field. What are some challenges with sinotransplantation? Well, really, the challenge is to find the, the correct donor. Because apparently, 50, 60 years ago, the idea was we can use the primates as, as donor. Uh, because they are phylogenetically very close to the human, and then the, the, the immune rejection is going to be lower and or more easy to avoid. And this is not true. And, and moreover, the, 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 the species nearest to, to, our, to, to, to us are absolutely endangered of extinction. So it's not ethical anyway uh, to, use it, uh, to use them as, as, as donors. Then, um, moreover, there, is more, there are more, more added problems. Uh, for example, the virus. The, the jump of virus between species in the same order uh, is relatively easy. What, what are we living today? Yes, mm. yes. It's a clear example. We're much more uh, severe between species in the same order. And we are primates. So, the jump of retrovirus and herpes virus between primates is really easy. And this was the, these were the reasons uh, that they pushed us to um, forget absolutely the primates as donors and to start working with the best species we think is, that is the pig. And this is the reason why a, a veterinarian of pigs is involved in sinus transplantation. Mm -hmm. Sure. And the pigs, uh, the, the really, the really important problem with pigs is that we are very, very far phylogenetically. And uh, for example, the pig have uh, antigens we have no, and this is uh, the main, the main challenge uh, trying to use the organs of a pig in a human. The, the immune rejection, the immunological rejection is going to be really really important and hard and today we know perfectly that if we don't modify genetically these donors these pigs that are, are that are going to be donors it's impossible to use their organs but the good news is that the pig is the species with the, the, the technology the biotechnology of reproduction of genetic modification and of diseases detection, the most uh, developed all over the the, the, the the farm animals. And this is the, the really good news. I think that's very interesting that we switched from primates to other species. It certainly makes sense, as you said, with COVID currently demonstrating the risk that we would have staying within an order. Um, and, and for years, we talked about using pig valves in, in humans for, you know, for heart conditions, right? But what I'm hearing you say is we really need to go a step beyond that now and, and really look at genetically modifying the pig so that the antigens in the liver 
aren't as expressive to cause a potential rejection. So what, what type of um, components or, or proteins are you targeting that, that we would have to genetically modify out of the pig? This, this is a really good question. And uh, if we talk about the liver, that is our goal, uh, thinking in a heart is a really simple organ. It sounds uh, very amazing, but it's, it's true. It only pump and produce a couple of proteins. The kidney is so really simple. It, it filters the blood using the, the blood pressure, the, electric, the, the electricity polarity, and produce a couple of proteins. But the liver is a very, very complicated organ. Produce more than 2,500 different proteins. And some of them are absolutely necessary for the life. For example, all the coagulation proteins are produced, or for example, all the complement proteins are produced there. And once we think in this, uh, and we have to, to change our, our mind and think what, what are the important proteins uh, for at least avoid the immune rejection? Well, the first step we, we, we done was um, to produce pigs with complement regulatory proteins. Why this? Because the, the first immune action against uh, an organ of a pig inside a primate or a human is the complement activation. And the really interesting problem is that uh, our protein, our, our regulatory protein that are, uh, are sure are safe uh, measures to avoid that complement act against ourselves, uh, heterologous. Uh, complements. I want to mean the human proteins stop the human co complement, the pig protein stop the pig complement, but the human proteins are not able to stop the pig complement. And this is the bad news because we are going to put an organ of a pig inside a human with a lot of antigens which are going to be recognized and by antibodies and are going to, to, to trigger the complement activation, but the protein of these organs are not able to stop the, the complement of the human. And this was the first, the first approach. And in fact, most of our research have been done with uh, pigs with CD55, CD59, and CD46, that are the three main complement regulatory proteins. Today, we have much more uh, modifications. And for example, the main antigen uh, that is present in the endothelial cells of the, of the pig are the alpha-gal. The alpha-gal antigen is, uh, a, is a, a protein in the family of the ABO blood groups family, uh, but we have no this antigen. And it's a very simple antigen. I want to mean is in, in the wall of a lot of bacteria. Uh, immediately after our birth, we are uh, stimulated against this antigen, and we have antibodies preformed, naturally preformed. So it's really, it's really, it's really easy the, 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 and, and really fast the development of the hyperacute rejection based on the alpha-gal and antigen and these natural preformed antibodies. Um, well, the, the other main uh, strategy should be avoid uh, to produce pigs that have no this antigen. And we have done it. And, and there are two different strategies. The first is to put inside a gene 
that uh, that uh, is uh, producing a, a, an enzyme that make that this antigen become the B group. Well, we have a, a, a softer problem. I want to mean. I want to mean. Now we have all the pigs are B group, but uh, not all the humans have uh, antibodies against B group. Okay, and the other main strategy is to produce knockout animals for one en enzyme that is the responsible to put the last sugar in this antigen. And in this way, this antigen become not antigenic, it's uh, smaller, and you know that uh, a, pro a, a molecule to be antigenic have to be a size, an enough size. If we cut the last glucose, we make this antigen is not uh, enough big and is not antigenic. Well, there are much more, uh, much more strategies. In fact, today in USA there is a company that offer you the peak 2.0, and they offer you with a peak with more. They say the peak have more than 62 genetic modifications. The problem is that it's a private developed, and when you, as, as a researcher, when you ask, okay, can you save me the list of modifications? They say, oh no, this is the know-how of the company, so we cannot say you what are you using in your research, and this is a, a problem uh, for most of the of the scientific community. Mm -hmm. And that was my next question: was on average how many knockouts or gene modifications we'd be looking at to have a successful liver transplant. So we're looking at 60, 60 some. 62, 60, 60, 60, plus, 60 plus, they, they say mm -hmm. that, that we have. In, in times, 20 years ago, for example, to make this, uh, this genetic modification was really, really complicated because uh, in most of cases, you will cannot predict, predict where this modification was going to be in the in the in the sea goat or in in the oocyte you were using to produce the, the, the genetic modification today in the age of the crispr cas9 is much more easy because you can produce you can edit, edit uh, and change the the genome in the place in the exact place you want so it's much more easy in fact, 20 years ago, most of the oocytes you subject to any modification uh, will, will not uh, give uh, an animal because uh, were, were lethal, the, the part in which the, the transgene was placed, okay? With all of the modifications that you're making, particularly to the immune system in that pig, what's the typical survivability of a litter of, of modified pigs is it very low or do they do well until time of harvest and then what what weight uh, or age are would you, you talking about the, survi the survival of the animal or the survival of the, of the graft of the animal we'll talk about the graft in a minute uh well uh, you know that any, any modified genetically modified animal uh, is a mystery by itself i want to mean right now I'm, I'm I'm working with with the genetically modified pigs here in my university. I'm cooperating with other research groups, and it's really amazing to see how uh, it's really really unpredictable what kind of problems we are going to have. And in fact, in one of the programs we are working now, uh, we have produced uh, 
pigs not genetically modific modificated, I want to mean, have been produced in, in vitro. And we want to see, to see the, the long of the life for this animal because the, the oldest people in the world producing vitro is uh, 45. So this is a model of, uh, of, of length of life because we don't know how, how it's going to be the life of, of these people. In the same way, the, the, the genetically modified animals uh, used to have some problems. Uh, well, it depends. It depends uh, the way you have produced. Uh, as I said, we, when you, you are using CRISPR, it's much more easy to, to predict that the animal is going to be viable and is going to have no problems uh, of survival. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that goes to the next question then is what's the survivability of the of the transplant itself? So this this is a really, really good question. Yeah, uh, this is a really good question. For example, uh, in Spain, it's very universal, but I know I really well know well the Spanish regula regulations. And, and for example, in Spain, the National uh, Transplant Organization uh, would not allow us to make any research in humans up to have more than six months of survival in a primate model. And this is the reason why we rear pigs and monkeys, <laughs> because we mandatory have to use a, a model with monkeys. Today, in, the, in, in taking all experiences all over the world, uh, we have more than nine months of, of survival with kidney, I'm talking about modified pigs in, in baboon, for example. We have more than six months of survival with heart, but we have no more 28 days of survival with liver. And this is, uh, this is why we are really uh, interested in, in, in the liver. It's, it's a very, very complex thing. universe. It's not an organ, it's a universe. And, 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 and it's involved in a huge quantity of uh, biological uh, events. So it's really difficult. But, well, the really good, uh, good news is that we don't, we don't know, we don't want uh, to make a, a permanent transplant. In fact, we, our dream is, is to produce bridge transplant. I, and what, what, that, what does it mean? It means that in Spain, in three, four days, we are uh, finding a liver for a people that is uh, in zero code. In Spain, we call zero code, code when somebody is going to die between 24 and 48 hours because the liver is completely destroyed and the, the, the failure is uh, absolutely well, okay, if somebody is going to die in 24 hours and we need three days, the good idea should be take the liver of a pig, put in these people, keep alive this person, the two, three days, the additional days we need to find uh, the human organ. Because the problem is that every one hour in, in critical liver failure, you lose 10% of survival possibility if, the, if one liver arrived. So you can calculate a people that is around 20, 10, 10, 12 hours in, in, in liver complete failure. It has a very low chance to survive even if you find a liver. So this is our dream, to keep these people alive up to the moment we find the correct liver for, for them. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. 
when you do the transplant, would you have to have um, the animal of equal weight to the recipient or is there quite a bit of, of um, variation that you could do? So, right, a 50 kilo pig for a 70 kilo person or does it need to be match up more correctly than that? No, we, in our experiences, we have, we should have a pig that is 60% uh, of the, of the weight of, of the graft. And this is the other good news, because one of the problems we have in the Western civilization is that we have reduced the child mortality incredibly. And the problem is that we have no child donors and we are losing a lot of, of childs that would need a transplant, but we have no the organ because the organ of, a hu of an adult is uh, really huge to put inside a, a uh, a child of three, four years old. Uh, well, we can split the liver, we can do a lot of things, but uh, the the transplantation would allow us uh, one more chance because you have to think that one pig uh, is born with one kilogram between one and one and a half kilogram and well, increase uh, the weight of 400 grams every, the first age is 200 grams every day, but then uh, at uh, three, four weeks is, is, is gaining 300 grams every day. So you can decide the exact moment in which you will have the donor for this child and the correct size uh, to get delivered for, for this uh, pediatric patients that are now dying because there's, there are no organs available. Right, that's very interesting. I wasn't aware of the 60% rule. So that, that's very interesting to me. Um, when we think about, obviously, anytime we talk about the word genetically modified, um, immediately people in, in the public um, have questions, right? Concerns and questions. So what are you hearing in, in terms of public acceptance of something like this, where we know it's a life-saving technology? Um, how are, how are you hearing in terms of public perception of that? This is a good question, a very, very interesting question, Laura. And, and, and we made this question 20 years ago. And, and we thought, okay, we are putting an enormous effort and a mountain of money involving a crowd of people. And what's, what's going to happen if then the public are no... The, the, we will have no, uh, we don't want a, a, an organ, an animal or organ inside them. And we start uh, asking to the population. We made a very, very, very well structured and validated questionnaires. And since that age, we have been continuously asking to different segments of population the opinion about sinotransplantation. And it's really, really interesting to see how the people is uh, has no very has no huge problems to accept an organ of animal in the case of the same results than a human organ. And, but interestingly, we have differences. And uh, for example, to have in mind uh, the medicians, the physicians would accept sixty uh, percent of them. Uh, and, and animal organs, but 
the segment of population with better, with the best fields uh, for for this for xenotransplantation that would allow uh, that would accept an uh, pig organ in 98% of the cases are the students of veterinary sciences. It's really interesting. And why? But I'm absolutely combined that is uh, because the relation with the animals uh, we have. Mm -hmm that probably we understand the animals in other sense. And of course, we have no problems to, to accept the organs of the animals. For me, it was a surprise uh, when, when we start. And we have, we have tested my faculty three times, but we have also tested the other of the Spanish faculties and some faculties in Brazil, in Poland, and in other places. And always is the same answer. The veterinarians, I can assume that the veterinarian have the same feel that, that the students of veterinary sciences. The veterinarians uh, accept the organs of pigs without no kind of problems. And in fact, as you said before, we now are absolutely commonly, it's absolutely common uh, to use valves, hard bar valves, or even some parts of, of, uh, of pancreas. So, um, I think it is not going to be a problem for, for the population to accept an organ of a pig. Yeah, I think that's certainly always going to be a question, right? And, and there are obviously religions and so forth where that may not be acceptable. Um, but I think, again, it's interesting to hear, and, and particularly the medical doctors may be a little bit lower percentage of, of acceptance than the veterinary doctors. Um, because again, I, I thought, well, if you're part of the science field, you're probably very accepting of an animal organ and, and the science behind it. But it sounds like even there's maybe a little difference. Yes, it could be, could be. Uh, we have to think that into account that uh, the, the, the physicians, the medicians has other, other education. Uh, and in fact, when the really interesting thing of these this teams involved in xenotransplantation is the contact between immunologists, uh, nurses, veterinarians, anesthesiologists, in, uh, uh, intensive care specialists, uh, are huge teams. And then you can make them market. You can share uh, your knowledge and you can see how the other the other uh, teams are working and it's really really interesting and in fact uh, probably this is one of the reasons why I continue working with the surgeons uh, of transplant that have been working in different uh, projects because they they knew how the veterinarians work and 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 it was uh, I think it is the, the best of the of the multidisciplinary teams the synotransplantation is really 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 a very potent zooms um, of knowledge is nice really nice absolutely it's interesting are there any other organs that you're working on besides the liver not really not really because uh, the the team with we with we with which with uh, we have been working are specialists in liver i have to say and this is and this is my proud that the the, the hospital of my city the, the in Murcia, has the highest rate of liver transplant by population unit all over Europe. 
I want to mean, we live in Spain, as you know, since the last uh, 30 years, Spain is, is a leader in, 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 in donation rate. We are now in, in, in 51 donors per million of population. And you, you should think that in the, the average of the European Union, that is our geographical environment, is 21. We are 2.5 plus folds higher than the average of the European Union. And there are a very surprising example at Germany that has less than 10, 10 donors per million of population. And inside Spain, in this frame of, of very high donation rate, our hospital has one of the highest donation rates all over, Europe, all over Spain. And I have to say, and this is a very, very amazing, uh, that during the last three months, uh, well, everybody know what's, uh, what's a waiting list. Uh, a waiting list is you, you are uh, presented in, at the hospital and the, the, the team decide that you need an, a transplant and you go inside a list that at least in Spain is at least your name has a date, an hour, a minute and a second. And this is the order in which the organs are uh, are uh, uh, processed. Okay. Well, when I start working in, in sinotransplantation program, the waiting list, uh, the people could be in waiting list around six, seven months. Six, seven months. And during the last two months in Murcia, the uh, length of waiting of the people is less than three days. The people is being is being uh, visited on Tuesday and is being transplanted on Friday. It's amazing. It's really crazy. It's incredible. In fact, yesterday we had two transplant with two multi-organic donors, and this means two livers, four kidneys, four corneas, four pancreas, two pancreas. It was crazy. You can imagine how the people were there. I have to say that my wife is part of the of the transplant team, so I know perfectly how they were. They was crazy, running, looking for resources, looking for rooms, looking for teams, looking for uh, surgery rooms. It, it was amazing. And for me, as a transplantation researcher, this is a problem because the Spanish uh, government is, is not uh, is not investing in sinotransplantation because the uh, the success of the transplantation here is 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 really nice. So, well, anyway, we don't want only for Spain. We have a, a universal <laughs> vision. Vision. So uh, we know that this is not universal. This is not the same in all over the world. So we continue working in sinotransplantation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's wonderful work. I think it's, Absolutely. it's great and it's, it's wonderful for the, the human population and it's, it's exciting. exciting Absolutely, work. Laura. You, you can imagine, uh, I love to save uh, animal lives. It, it's my profession. And, uh, but, but cooperate in, in saving uh, human lives is amazing. It's, it's other dimension. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Guillermo, as we kind of wrap up our, our conversation on xenotransplantation, are there any key points that you would like our audience to remember and take away from today's discussion? 
Now, the only the only I, I would like to to remember to the people is that uh, there are no transplant if there are no donors. So, your organs when you die are unuseful for you, but uh, are very useful for say life. So, the people should be really really well uh, in, in accordance of of of, do, of donate uh, their organs. In fact, in Spain, we have changed our vision. You know. Uh, Formerly, we, we thought that uh, somebody was so altruist that gives you an organ to give you a life. And today, we are absolutely convinced that the, the graft is so altruist that gives the body to keep alive a part of somebody that has died. So it's a, a different vision. And I think you should have much more education all over the world. I, I want to mean, in Spain, it's still necessary, but I am absolutely combined that this is universal and we should put an incredible effort educating the population that when you die, your organs are going to be destroyed. And if you donate, you can keep up to five persons alive. You can live more time in five different peoples. So it's it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I think the government should put uh, uh, more effort in education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. It is time to our famous three. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Since 1970, Minitube has been at the forefront of assisted reproduction technologies, setting worldwide standards in reproductive technology and giving peace of mind to producers. Offering a full range of products and services, Minitube can increase the efficiency and reproductive health of swine operations. From the boar stud to the sow farm, learn more at Minitube.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So as we wrap up our podcast, we like to ask our guest speakers a couple of questions. The first one we like to ask you is, what is your favorite swine resource book? Oh, this is of swine, by sure. Yeah. Of Iowa, <laughs> Iowa Press University, uh, Iowa State University Press. It's uh, the Bible, the Holy Bible of the, the swine diseases. Uh, in fact, I have the sixth edition. Oh, my God. Now oh, I, really? you, you can calculate my age. <laughs> and I have the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth up to the 12th that is the current edition and i love this book i have learned and in fact most of my learn proceed from from this book is 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 fantastic and in fact every one of my students that say me i'm going to i want to be a shrine veterinarian i give as a present the the the, the digital version of the disease of science i say this is the bible respect it and learn with the devotion you have to put. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's a very good book. I think Absolutely. most of us do have it on our on our shelves, <laughs> for sure, for sure. 
Well, how about um, when you're not talking about pigs and xenotransplants? Is, are there books that you enjoy reading in your leisure time? It's difficult to, to find me in a moment in which I'm not talking about pigs, but anyway, <laughs> when I read other books, I love uh, an Spanish uh, writer that unfortunately died two, two years ago, very young, that is Carlos Ruiz Zafón. Uh, all, all the novels of this writer are amazing, and I love history, you know. And there is other Spanish writer that is Santiago Posteguillo. This is a university teacher in Valencia, in the University of Valencia, that uh, take pieces of, of uh, Spanish history, especially Roman uh, Spanish history, and make uh, novels really, really well documented and really uh, exciting uh, and very, very dynamic books. Uh, I love, I love this, uh, this author so. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Well, so the last question we have for you is really when you think about people that are successful, uh, what characteristics do you see in those people that, that you think helps them to be successful? All the people I know that have been successful, regardless the 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 part of the life in in which we are talking about, uh, I'm not talking about money, I'm not talking about uh, famous are people that are honest, that are hard workers, and that are intelligent people. And, but especially the two first. I want to mean, you can be not so intelligent, but if you are a hard worker, uh, probably you will get uh, your goals. Uh, you know, Picasso is, is a genius of, of the painting, and this guy always said, the art is uh, a question of inspiration. But I always try to be painting when arrive to me the inspiration. And this is the trick. You have to, to work hard and, and you will get it, sure. Yes, very good point. Very good point. And I've, I've heard that from other speakers as well, is that, that desire, that, you know, that drive that you have. And if you work towards you know, responding to that drive, you'll become successful, right? That hard work. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Well, Guillermo, I, I do again want to thank you for your time today. It's It's been a very educational discussion around xenotransplantation and, and all of the great work that you're doing. So again, I, I do want to thank you for your time. Thank you for you. And, and every time you will invite me, I will be here by yeah. sure. I enjoy very much your podcast and it's a corner for me to share with, with your audience uh, this piece of knowledge and to share with you the, this piece of time. Yes, Thank absolutely. you, Laura. Thank you, take care. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven-week-long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcia Gonçalves, and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.